Chapter 10, The Lemonade Stand. I saw a cartoon once. I believe it was Dennis the Menace. Dennis is selling lemonade in front of his house from a homemade stand. There is a sign on the stand that says, All you can drink for five cents. His first customer, Mr. Wilson, finishes his first glass and wants more. When Dennis refuses, Mr. Wilson says, Who says that's all I can drink? Dennis says, I say that's all you can drink. I have always been fascinated by the lemonade business because it is a perfect model for almost any type of home-based business. You have inventory, cost of goods sold, expenses, revenue, overhead, and profit. I have used this model to teach my own children about business, and together we engaged in several simple businesses to help our children earn extra money as they were growing up. The first one, believe it or not, was a lemonade stand set up right in front in our front yard in Modesto, California. There are many opportunities to be found for children that are valuable teaching experiences and can generate a fair amount of profit for them as well. But do not overlook the lemonade stand business that you can start on your own. With low overhead, there is little risk and you can start small as your time and resources allow. In time, a small home business can become extremely profitable and be the catalyst to ultimately having enough extra cash to start planting money trees. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high is good advice for trading stocks but it also makes sense in a retail application. If you are reselling goods to friends and neighbors that you have acquired at wholesale or perhaps a craft that you make yourself in your spare time, you will find a market for it. My early entrance into resale began as a way to get some of the things we wanted for our home at a reduced price. I found that by buying 10 or more of an item, I could get a wholesale price, and if it was something I wanted, there must be others who wanted it too. I applied for a resale permit from the state which allowed me to buy inventory without paying sales tax. Of course, I had to report and pay the tax I collected from the end user, so I began buying and selling whatever came along that I wanted to get. It started with water distillers and evolved into a whole collection of home production and storage items. Later on, trampolines anyone? Korean massage tables? This early entry into the resale business prepared me to take my business online when eBay was first becoming popular. I streamlined my inventory to items that were easy to ship and carried a high profit margin. Now my online business practically runs itself and generates a handsome profit every month. Back to the beginning, when I wanted to buy a water distiller, I was put off by the $459 retail price. Remember, this was the 1970s when even a rainbow vacuum cost less than that. So I looked into their marketing options and found that if I bought 10 water distillers initially, I could qualify to become a distributor. After I sold the initial inventory, I would be able to order individual units one at a time for the lower wholesale price of only $285. Well, I liked that price a lot better. But where was I going to come up with the startup capital to buy inventory? We had only been married for two years and had just bought our first house. I was not smart enough in those days to get a 15-year mortgage, but we did put a 20% down payment on the house. Since most of our savings had gone into the home purchase, I had to come up with a different plan. I was sure I could sell plenty of distillers. Modesto has very hard water, but I needed some seed money. I first approached my father with the idea. He suggested that I ask my aunt for a loan and pay her market rate interest. I believe that was 12% at the time. I calculated that I could most likely have her paid back within six months, so I made up a business plan and presented it to my aunt. She wrote me a check for $2,500, and together with my own savings, the adventure began. I started selling water distillers to reduce inventory and pay back my loan. In less than six months, I had my aunt paid in full and my own distiller for free. My sales records showed that I had even made money on top of that. From then on, I could order new units as they were sold, so I did not have to have a lot of money tied up in inventory. 
That was the birth of Central Valley Distributors, which later became Penquin Distributing, and I have been involved in the resale of one product or another ever since. I recognize that not everyone is cut out for this model. I use it only as an example of how you can earn extra money using your own unique skill set by looking for opportunities that complement the time, energy, and inclination that you want to devote to them. Having a lemonade stand business is good for you all along the way, but even better when you retire as you may need the additional income stream it will provide. The internet is a worldwide marketplace that we did not have when I started my business. The possibilities for earning money legitimately online are limited only by your imagination. So stretch yourself and see what happens. The results may surprise you. $1 saved is $2 earned. Some people are really good at making money and some are better at saving money. The old adage, a penny saved is a penny earned, really is not true because it takes more elbow grease to replace spent funds than it does to save them in the first place. When the taxes imposed on earned income and tithing are factored in, depending on your tax bracket, you will have to earn close to $2 to replace a single dollar that you could save with a little effort and creativity. So that means that a coupon for $10 off a $50 purchase might look like a 20% savings, but in reality, it is much more because you would have to earn as much as $20 to replace the $10 that you are saving with the coupon. Be advised, I am not advocating spending money for things you do not need just to save money on a coupon purchase. Quite the opposite. I am suggesting that there are ways to save money on items that you are going to buy anyway, if you keep your eyes open. Watch for sales, know what you are going to need ahead of time, do not be in too much of a hurry, and you will find what you are wanting for less, guaranteed. I am amazed that even as careful as I am about shopping and as deliberate as I have learned to become, I can almost always find a better deal on something after I buy it. So the lesson here is to be patient with things that are not immediate needs and watch for ways to save. They are out there if you are alert. Another way to save money is by having a stay-at-home mom who cooks from scratch instead of buying prepared meals, who sews and mends children's clothing instead of always buying new, a homemaker who is not only saving money at every turn but also not spending money in the workforce on such things as professional wardrobes, eating lunch out every day, childcare, and transportation to and from work could be saving as much as she would net by working. And the bonus is that your children get a full-time mom. It's a winning strategy. The paper route. Our children did a lot of things to earn money while growing up, but one of my favorites was a paper route with the Daily Herald in Provo, Utah. They shared a route between several siblings, so it was never a daily burden for one child. Each one had a few days each week that were theirs, and if they had a conflict on their day with six children at home, they could always find a substitute without looking very far. A paper route is not particularly as lucrative as some other job options, but it is great at teaching responsibility to young people. The daily routine is good training that will serve them well no matter what occupation they choose, and it is also insurance against their deciding to be a newspaper carrier for the rest of their lives. My job in this family endeavor was collections. I felt like if the child got the papers out every day, he or she should not have to worry about having to spend time with accounting and collecting. I treated the paper out like the business that it was. I entered all the customers into QuickBooks and generated billing statements every month. Customers were notified that no one would come by their house to collect. They were responsible to get the payments to me either by mail or dropping them off in person. If they were three days late, their paper would stop. I had a few customers call the paper's business office and complain about my hardliner approach. But guess what? The Daily Herald asked me if I would train their other carriers on collection techniques. Apparently, collections are the part of the job that most carriers hate, and they absolutely loved my no-nonsense approach. I do not remember all the numbers involved, but I do know that my children were charged for every paper. So if they had a deadbeat customer, that could eat up a good chunk of the child's profit. Not to mention the time it took trying to track them down, so I just cut them off. 
Guess what? Our customers started paying on time and some even paid early. I guess they wanted to get their papers every day and on time. Imagine that. So in addition to teaching our children responsibility, I got to teach our neighbors to be responsible as well. Everybody wins. The Golden Pazuza. Our children are now grown and their families live across the country, so they look for ways to keep the family close. One day on our Lindorf Chatter email group, someone suggested that we have a contest to see who could create the most wealth starting with $100 of real money over a six-month period. Prizes were nominal. The bragging rights of being the most creative and successful entrepreneur was the true motivation. A trophy called the Golden Pazuza was awarded to the winner who was then required to photograph himself with the trophy in a public place. We had previously been involved in a similar contest trading stocks with imaginary money. For this game involving real money, I decided to up the ante by matching everyone's $100 if they would participate and report their activity. Our son Daniel created the website Lindorf Challenge to track the results and the games began. It was interesting to see the various approaches that were taken. Our oldest son, Ben, found a website where you could loan money to people who were pitching their own business plans. The higher the risk, the greater the reward. Our youngest daughter, Jessie, started a window washing business that was quite successful. Others simply put the money in the bank to collect interest and hoped that everyone else would lose their seed money on risky ventures. In the end, it was more than a game. It was a great way to stay involved and in contact with each other. Planting Trees In Chapter 14, Retiring Without Permission, we will explore the topic of planting money trees. But for now, pine trees will do. For my dad, pine trees were money trees. When I was 11 years old, my parents decided that their hobby five-acre avocado farm was not producing enough of a cash crop for all the labor and expense, so they devised a new plan. Cut down the avocado trees and plant thousands of Monterey pine trees. Within a few years, they had a new cash crop of choose-and-cut Christmas trees. Santa's Tree Farm became a popular place for families to come and pick out their favorite fresh live tree, which my siblings and I would then cut down and tie to their car. At $2 a foot, three to four years after planting a 15-cent seedling, These trees generated a very healthy cash income. My dad's motivation to have a part-time business was only partly inspired by the opportunity to make money. His primary motive was to teach his children the value of work. My job as a teenager during the non-selling season was weed control. Imagine trying to keep the weeds off of five acres when you are regularly watering the trees. Sometimes I felt like it was a never-ending battle, but fighting the weeds became personal after a while. I was not going to let them get the best of me. Those were the years when I learned the importance of hoeing to the end of the row. I know that I did not appreciate at the time the lessons I learned as a youth on that hill, but looking back, I can now appreciate that many of the values that became part of my character were taught to me directly or indirectly by my father. I appreciate his going the extra mile to teach his children. I am grateful for his integrity, his strong work ethic, and his excellent example to follow. Always buy lemonade. Whenever I am driving and spot a lemonade stand, usually a card table with homemade signs and a pitcher with most of the ice melted, I always stop and buy a glass. Normally, neither the six-year-old who spills while pouring up half a glass nor his 10-year-old brother can make the correct change, but you never know. These entrepreneurial lemonade stand roots could grow into meaningful business acumen. You do know that they have parents who want more for their children than an average childhood and that these children more than likely have a stay-at-home mom who is keeping a watchful eye on her lemons. Support the risk takers of tomorrow. Buy lemonade. Keep books. Having an accounting background myself, keeping careful records is second nature to me, another gift I inherited from my father. But most people probably do not know where to begin. It is important if you start a real business to keep records because you will owe tax on the proceeds. Do not commingle personal and business funds. Set up separate bank accounts for your business and track every transfer between your business and personal finances. 
It will make your life much easier at tax time. Tracking everything might sound difficult at first, but it really is not. It is actually easier when you keep everything separate between your business and personal expenses. The good news is that by keeping careful records, you'll be able to deduct normal business expenses required to operate your lemonade stand. For example, if your business has a web presence, you cannot do that without a computer and monthly internet access. You will probably also need a cell phone and maybe a fax line to stay in contact with customers. These are probably costs that you would incur anyway, but you might as well let your business pay for them. Expenses are tax deductible. This assumes, of course, that you are actually making money, but you will not know that unless you keep records. Your business will probably also need a computer to do that. Hmm, did I mention you might need a computer to run your business? That new Mac is looking better all the time. If you get lost somewhere between reserve for depreciation and cost of goods sold, or if you do not understand the difference between a debit and a credit, then I would recommend reading a book on basic business and accounting or taking a class in school. What you will need to know for a simple business is not difficult to master, particularly if you remember that most businesses are not really much different than selling lemonade. The last thought I want to leave with you on this subject is one my son Nathan realized as he began an at-home business. It is simply this, when most of the net income from your wages is pre-committed to sauce, Say, for example, that you have only 5 to 10% of your income remaining, which is discretionary, after meeting your fixed obligations. It is relatively easy to double or triple that discretionary income by starting a low overhead home business. All of your profit, except tithing, of course, will go to Crest because your sauce is already covered by your day job. When that idea sinks in, you will head for the closet, get out the card table, and start making a homemade sign. You will never know who might stop by your lemonade stand until you try it.